0: So we're starting Philippians. I'm really excited because uh, I feel like, tell me what you think. I feel like oftentimes when I preach in this class, I feel like I'm not yelling. I don't know that I yell a lot, but I feel like I'm always just trying to get you to do something. Like I'm just kind of trying to make you be different. Do you feel that way? Do you pay attention in here? (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Sometimes I feel that way where I'm like, like, um, I, don't, I don't think that I'm mad, but I just like... Mm, there's a term, let me be honest with you. There's a term called moralizing. Do you know what that means? Do you know what like, mor- morals are? It's like good and bad. Morals. If you have morals, you know that some things are good and some things are bad. There's a moral compass in each of us. There's moral systems that we all kind of submit to like you wouldn't you wouldn't get up and pee on the person next to you why because that would be both creepy and bad right you also wouldn't just stand up and slug the guy next to you in the face uh because he has bad breath okay you wouldn't do that because that would be wrong right sometimes i know if i can be honest with you that when i'm preaching I kind of just moralize things that aren't moral issues. And I don't mean to, but for example, how often do you read your Bible? Okay, think about that number, how often or that frequency, how often do you read your Bible? And then if I were to say to you, you need to read your Bible every day. Okay, should you read your Bible every day? Yes. Probably. <laughs> okay, are you a bad person if you don't? I can make you feel that way. I think you're a bad person even if you do. Okay, if I could just be honest. I think we're all kind of just scum. Uh, we all, if you add all of our virtue together, and you combine it into one big pile, it would be one big pile of poop, probably. Okay, so my point is I don't want, as we go through Philippians to make you feel like I'm moralizing things or making things right or wrong. In fact, I want to do something quite different from that. I, I hope and I aim, as I've read through and studied Philippians, that what we will see in the book of Philippians is quite a lot of encouragement and edifying and just giving you, showing you some love because I know that from the pulpit and main service, I kind of rag on you guys from time to time, do I not? I'm always talking trash on this group. And I'll tell you what. I just want you to know how much I love you. And not me. I love you. And Kylie loves you. And Brock and Lauren love you. And Mitch and Rhonda, they love you, obviously. And the church loves you. And yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's important. But what I believe we can see in the book of Philippians is how much God loves you. And I think that that will change us. Rather than me making things right or wrong, choose the right thing, don't do wrong. If you'll just receive God's love, I think that's going to change a lot of things. It's going to change your perspective. It's going to change your behavior. It's going to change your self-esteem. It's going to change your personality, actually, if you'll just receive the love of God. So that's kind of what I hope. Let's talk about the book of Philippians, though. I'm going to pray, and then we've got Quite a bit of information, and it's just really exciting information. So, um, man, use that handout, write notes, jot down things that stand out, uh, and let's get right into it. Let's pray and get to studying. Amen? You ready? Philippians about to start. Boy, howdy. Yes, sir. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible, and thank you for Philippians, and thank you for the doctrine, the teaching that we're going to see in it. Thank you for your love that we see in the book of Philippians, for the joy, for the grace and the peace. And um, God, just thank you for what I believe you're going to do in this, in this study over the next season. Uh, thank you for it. God, would you do it? Would you make us fruitful as we study this book? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, some historical context, just because we're getting started in a new book. This was written around 63 A.D. Don't know if that's important to you or not. This Philippi was an old, retired military town. So it was a bunch of soldiers that were done being soldiers, and then they have this community. And so that kind of gives you a picture of who these people were, what their personality was like, some military folk. It was mostly Gentiles, meaning not Jewish Okay, so not a lot of Jews, meaning there's not a synagogue, but they're a pretty religious, spiritual people. It's just not Jewish, which is unique. Because a lot of the Bible is what? Jewish. Jewish okay, but this is not a Jewish place. It was a Roman city. Rome was the, the um, ruling political system in this area. And it was also the first European church plant by Paul. That's kind of cool. First European church plant by Paul. Uh, Philippi is in Greece, also. Just say so you know. Acts chapter sixteen, verse twelve. That is a verse reference you probably want to write down. Acts uh, sixteen twelve is where you pick up the story of Paul going and planting this church in Philippi. Philippi is a city. Philippians are people who live in that city. That makes sense. So uh, Acts sixteen verse twelve is where he rolls into Philippi with his um, disciple and friend Timothy. And they get going building the church there. You'll see uh, some key converts there in Acts chapter 16. You've got Lydia, the seller of purple. And we've got Lydia with us this morning. Amen. She doesn't have purple on because she sells purple, right? <laughs> so she sold Eva that shirt and she sold... Dylan, is that like a hue of purple? It looks kind of purplish maybe. I don't... Maybe it's the lighting. But so, so if you need anything in purple... Lydia is your gal. (laughs) But Lydia was a lady, and she was probably a fairly wealthy lady in this community, and she got uh, saved down by the river where the bullfrogs go from sea to sea. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they do that. Okay, so Lydia gets saved. This is where Paul and Timothy, uh, Paul and Silas, Paul was imprisoned, and he was uh, he was beaten and imprisoned because he cast a demon out, and then he gets put in the stocks, meaning his legs get like locked up so he can't move. And he's imprisoned there in Philippi, and then they're just singing and having a good time. And then there's an earthquake, and then and then uh, uh, Paul keeps the prisoners in the prison. And he says, don't go, because the jailer sees that, oh no, his life is over, because he let all of his prisoners out, and the, the penalty for that would be uh, annihilation. And so, this guy's, he's like, I'm, I'm out, I'm, I'm done for, and uh, and so Paul's like, don't, don't hurt yourself, uh, you need grace, you need salvation, and so this guy asks, what, what? What must I do to be saved? So this jailer gets saved and washes Paul's beatings and his stripes and his injuries. and It's just kind of a revival in this, in this little city. And that all starts in Acts chapter 16. So I got the characters there for you. Paul, Timothy, Lydia, the jailer. But then we're also going to see Jesus Christ. Uh, Epaphroditus. Uh, we're going to see enemies of the cross. Those are some characters in Philippians. Eudeus. Centichi. Is that how we say that? Sintichi? Sintike? Sintike? Sin-tike? <laughs> <laughs> Get back to me on that one. I don't know how you pronounce that. We'll go with Sinti... Tiki? That's how the, the Bible app guy sound, says it. That's what we need. How does he do it? Sintiki. Can you pull it up? Can you have it do it? Well, I just like listen to... Like, not on oh, Netflix. when he reads I it. Yeah. When oh, he talks, okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about the Bible. What does he say? Sintiki. Sintiki. That sounds better. Syntyche is a character, and then Clement is, is uh, another character we'll see here. Okay, but i got a Bible study lesson for you. The theme uh, of, the, of the book is have, have joy regardless. Okay, so you'll see throughout these four chapters that Paul has joy, and he's encouraging the believers in Philippi to have joy despite and regardless of, and I didn't put anything in here. Because I want us to learn the lesson that we can have joy regardless of anything. It doesn't matter. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your heart, whatever's going on in your mind, you can have joy. And we'll see how that is. How do we have joy uh, regardless? Okay. But I've, I've got another Bible study here. The, the title of the message is, Who Are You? We're going to be looking at who you are. Who are you? Who are you? We're going to be looking at that. But in light of that, I've got a Bible study lesson for the day. And this is for upperclassmen. Excuse me. This is for upperclassmen and it's for any other Bible students. So if you're a Bible student, if you're not an upperclassman, but you, you study the Bible, this is for you, okay? The title, the official title of this book is not the book of Philippians. The title of the book is the Epistle to the Philippians. The Epistle to the Philippians. An epistle is a letter. It was a letter written to the Philippians. It's a letter to the church, a church of people there in Philippi. Okay, so probably Lydia and the jailer and some others were this gathered body of believers there, and Paul's writing a letter to them, and they are a church. Okay, there's three, here's your Bible study lesson, there's three audiences in Scripture. Audiences is your blank, I believe. There's three audiences in Scripture, now, what do I mean by that? There are three general categories of people that each book in your Bible is written to. Okay? This letter is written to the church. Well, there's two others. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 to 33, tell us what these three groups of people, these three audiences, will be in Scripture. It says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Ready? 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 Give none offense. None. See that? Absolute none. None offense. Neither to the Jews. It's group number one. Nor to the Gentiles. It's group number two. Nor to the church of God. It's group number three. Even as I please. Here's an absolute. All men. In all things, not seeking mine own prophet, but the prophet of many that they may be saved. So here he's talking about ministering to all people, to everyone. And he says, among everyone, don't give offense to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to the church of God. So you'll see books in your Bible that are written to Jewish people. There's a Jewish audience. Are you a Jew? Raise your hand if you're a Jew. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Hands up. Raise your hand if you're a part of the church of God. Put your hands up. Right? So, this book, Philippians, is written to the church, and therefore, we would say that it is written to us. You understand? It's written to us. This book is to you. As much as we would say it's written for us. It's written to you. So we can take it personally, we can apply it directly, and we can interpret it literally, because it's not to the Jews, which we are not, it's to the church, which we are. So there's a very personal application of this book to our lives. And a literal. So there's some big questions that come inspirationally from the the first couple verses here that I feel we must answer about ourselves before we can really get into some other specific questions that I think are relevant to your lives right now. For example, some of you maybe you want to know what job you're going to work when you get out of high school. How many of you know what job you're going to have? Or you have an idea of what job you want to do? what you're going to have. And how many of you are open to it changing? If God changes directions, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, I got a plan, but if He changes it, that's cool. How many of you have no idea what you're going to do after you get out of high school? Yeah, good. I think I probably would have said I have an idea, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was in high school. And that's pretty, I think, common among you guys, right? How about this? How many of you want to be a missionary one day? So maybe you think, I want to be a missionary one day, but I wonder what country I would go to. Where would I go? Where will I go and serve the Lord abroad? That's a good question. Or maybe some of you want to know who you're going to marry when you grow up. <sighs> How many of you want to be married when you grow up? Yeah, the rest of you are liars, right? Okay. Yes, you want to be married, and that's a good thing. To be married is a very good thing, okay? It is a good thing. How many of you, though, you have no clue who that person would be? <laughs> e- well, hopefully your hand is up, okay, unless you're married. Now, Kylie and I knew each other in high school, but we were not, we were not uh, dating. We were not, like, there was no, um, how do I say it? There was no relationship, like, interest. there was no, yeah, there was no real interest uh, when we were in high school. In fact, I was dating another girl that I shouldn't have been dating, but I was because I was foolish and, and I disregarded the spirits leading. He told me multiple times, bro, break up with this girl. What are you doing? And I was like, mm, you know, <coughs> it's okay. I'm all right. And I shouldn't have done that. Uh, but I told this girl, "I was this girl I was dating in high school, I'm like, we're going to get married, right? And she's like, well, yeah. She's far more godly than I was. She was like, yeah, but... Even if we break up, you'll find someone that makes you even happier than I do. And I was like, shut up. No, that's wrong. How could you say that? You're so unfaithful to me, you know, because I was a high school boy. And uh, she was right, bro. Because we broke up and now Kylie and I are are way happier than I ever was at any moment with that girl. So how many of you want to be married? Well, it's pretty awesome to be married. But that question, I think, is maybe too specific. There's like a cotton ball in my throat right now. Oh. Did it come out? I feel like I have a hairball. I think I'm good. Okay, so anyways, that question among many that we may have about life are too specific. And I think that we have to zoom out and we'll be able to zoom out and ask ourselves some big questions. Uh, About life and about ourselves that will help answer those smaller questions later on. So here's your first question. Let's start by asking ourselves, who am I? I want you to ask yourself, who am I? And with those blanks, I want you to take a minute and write down three words that describe who you are. Not how you are. Don't write adjectives about how you are. I'm athletic, I'm beautiful, and I'm so smart. Okay, don't write how you are. Write who you are. Who are you? Not what do you do. Not what do you like. Who are you? Be as honest as you possibly can. Look at the innermost part of your soul and say who you are. Does that make sense? Take a minute and write those down. I'm going to try to get my hairball out. Oh, thank you. Is it called a hairball? If it's made of hair. Cats don't hawk up. Hair balls. Yeah, they do. Hair yeah. balls? <laughs> Furball. Furball? Hair ball. Hair ball? Hair ball. Give shot, You have five cats. Wow, bro. Ugh. Good on you. I have a cat. And a half. My cat is not a cat. He doesn't know how to cat. For example, last night he was eating cat food out on our front porch with a raccoon. They're just out there chomping on some cat food together, just hanging out. Like, bro, you're supposed to either scare him away or be terrified of him. The raccoon's huge. It's like the size of that speaker, and they're just out there having a snack. Bedtime snack. Like, dude, you're so stupid. Like. Yeah, what happened to the other guy? Uh, he looks great. He's got, I saw him the other day. He's got this shiny coat. He looks wonderful. He lives with our neighbor down the street. So, they feed him probably wet cat food or something. cat food. My cat ate a mouse last night. I wish my cat could do that. See, your cat's a real man. <laughs> See, my cat's name is Menace. Yes. He's a menace, yeah. Mine's name is Meatball. <laughs> Not good, bro. Okay, so you wrote down three words that describe who you are. That's important. I hope you are honest. And I hope you're thinking about who, who are you. And I want to ask some, some, some more questions that help you really evaluate who you are, how you think, how you identify yourself. And hopefully by the end of it, we can conclude that in, and agree... That who God says we are and who God offers to make us is who we are and want to be. Okay. So, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 2. Let's read these verses. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. We're going to actually look at a few of these names. We're going to look at Paul's name, Timotheus. We're going to look at their title, servants of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at these words, saints. We're going to look at bishop and deacons. And then we're going to look at the word grace and peace. We're going to walk through some some vocab words, get some explanation about them, some inspiration, and ask some questions. Okay, let's start with Paul. Paul, his name means small. Paul, small. Pretty easy to remember. His name means small. His previous name was what? Saul. Saul. And Saul meant desired. Okay, so here's kind of what I was thinking. Looking at Saul, Paul's life and his upbringing, he was a very big up-and-coming deal in the Jewish community. He was like in charge. He had some authority and some power. and some. He had some, uh, what's the word when, uh, when you're cool? Clout? He had some clout. So, I want you to imagine the, you know, the popular freshman or sophomore at your school. They're upcoming. They're going to be the big deal, the next big deal in school, right? So, Paul was kind of like that. But now a saved man, and his name is changed from Saul to Paul. Now a saved man, he understood that he was small. And he didn't esteem himself as a big deal anymore, right? He was emptied of his ego, and he was humbled and made low by counting all of his righteousness... As dung. Okay, so he saw all that his worth was in this life. Everything that he had to offer anyone. And he said, you know what? That doesn't count for much. And we're going to go through it in chapter 3. He was a big deal. Like he had the resume. He was impressive. But he made himself small. And he didn't count those things of any credit or worth to him. And I think along with that, he suffered quite a bit of tribulation. The dude got the, the junk beat out of him. I mean, he was constantly torn up. You can read through his his trials and tribulations in like Second Corinthians and and like Acts. You can see how beat down this dude was. And may I ask you, because I think that some of you maybe you're going through tribulations and trials right now. Even maybe your family is suffering, falling apart. There's multiple people in here. Your family is falling apart. You're going through a hard time. You're going through a hard time. A lot of it I know about. Some of it I don't know about. Maybe you're going through the ringer. And you know what that will do to you? You know what will happen when you get the mess beat out of you? Especially when it's unjust. When you didn't do anything to deserve how beat down you feel. You know what that will do to you? It will humble you. It will break you. It'll break you of your self-dependence. You'll find that at the end of yourself, you can't do anything to make yourself feel better. If you let that beating work its course, you will find at the end of yourself, I can't do anything about this. And this sucks. I've got no no options. I've got no answers for what's happening in my life. It'll break you of your self-dependence and it'll develop in you a God-dependence if you let it. But it will also strengthen your resolve to follow hard after Him. If you allow yourself to be small and you allow the trials and tribulations of your life to just do whatever God wants them to do in your life, if you allow that to happen and you just humble yourself and you say, alright Lord, though, though He slay me, yet will I praise Him. Yet will He be my God. Yet will I be small and He be large in my life and in my heart. If you take that attitude, it will strengthen your resolve to follow hard after Him. And I believe you will be able to find joy and peace, grace. So the question is, here's one of these refining questions. And it's about your attitude. How do you stand before God? In your mind, how do you stand before God? Who are you to God? Are you a big deal? Or do you small yourself before Him? And you can think about like how you talk at school, and you can think about how you talk to your family, and how you talk to your friends, and maybe you've got this double life thing going on, where at school you're one way, and then here you're another way. right? How you demonstrate yourself, and how you view yourself, kind of go hand in hand. We know how you, how you hold yourself. If you're an arrogant, proud jerk... We all know how you view yourself before God. You're a big deal. But do you small yourself? Is that how it is? Okay, let's look at the next name. Timothy. Timothy's name means honoring God. So we talked about your attitude. We're going to talk about your lifestyle here. Honoring God. Timothy, when he was picked up by Paul to join him in ministry right there in Acts, the beginning of Acts chapter 16, uh, that was right before their trip to Philippi. So they went and did some ministry there in Acts, the early part of Acts 16, and then, and then they go to Philippi together, all in that same chapter. He came from a fine family, but I don't know if you knew this, Timothy was asked to sacrifice quite a lot in order to be not just used by God, to be, but to be most effectively used by God. Do you know what was asked of him? Anybody know? Some of you know. Anybody know what Timothy was asked Paul said, give me your foreskin. Manning's face just said everything about my comment. (laughs) He just went, like I shouldn't have said that, sorry. Okay, he didn't say it that way. He said, circumcise the guy because there's Jews in this quarter. There's Jews in the area and they know that Timothy's dad was a Greek. So uh, Timothy wasn't circumcised, and in order to effectively, most effectively minister to this Jewish culture, these Jewish people, he was going to have to be circumcised so that he could be viewed as clean, or he could be viewed as um, holy, I guess, or, or you know, he, to, it was just what? Go into the temple. He's going to yeah. So he's going to the, he he has to get right in their eyes so that he can minister to them. Okay, that's quite a lot to sacrifice. That's a big deal. He was circumcised as an adolescent young man. So most boys are circumcised a few days after they're born, so that the kid doesn't remember it. This dude remember that for the rest of his life. Okay, big deal. He would sacrifice willingly so that he could follow Paul into ministry and do everything that God would have for him. Right. Serving God and honoring Him was His prerogative. It was it was His priority. So let me ask you this. Regarding your lifestyle, how do you walk before God? How do you walk before God? Is it, does your lifestyle consist of satisfying your craving for comfort, doing things that you want to do, things that you like, things that make you happy? Or does your lifestyle consist of Making decisions, having behavior that will bring the most honor to God now honor is just esteeming highly it's putting you can think of it practically as putting something up above honoring is to put it up, so do you put above your own opinions and your own comfort what god's opinions and god's- per, uh, per, god's preferences are right so man, I don't know of any practical examples for what you could how you could look at that Uh, but I think opportunity abounds right opportunity abounds if I go to school what is natural is to blend in with the other kids at school why because if I don't then I'm going to be weird and socially well you're figuring that out you're figuring out how do you sit with your peers at school that's normal that's good Okay, so if my peers are doing this or that, if I do this or that, how will that make me feel among my peers? How will that make me feel? If I do what they're doing, that's going to make me feel comfortable and confident probably, because I'm fitting in, I'm being like them, and now I'm not going to have sweaty armpits and be ostracized because I look different, I'm acting different, I'm feeling weird, right? Does that make sense? You with me? I'm not saying you would do all of the worst things that you see your peers do, but there are compromises that we might make in order to fit in. Am I wrong or am I right? You tell me. I don't know. I'm not in high school anymore, but I would imagine that that takes place Versus the approach that says, okay, my lifestyle, I think I'm just going to be set. I think I'm going to decide right now that there are things I don't do that my peers do. And there's things that I do that my peers don't do. And I'm at peace about it. Because that's not just something I do, because that's my lifestyle. Practical example. Do your friends at school know you go to church? Do they know that? Okay, that's step one. The answer to that is, yes, they know I go to church. Step two, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? Because there's tons of lost people, tons of carnal and worldly people that go to church. In fact, there's people maybe you know that are ruining your lives or that have ruined your lives. Maybe you have parents who are off their rocker. They went to church. What does that mean? Did you go to church? It kind of doesn't mean anything, does it? So what is your lifestyle, right? Who are you? What does it mean that you don't do and don't do these different things? What does it mean that you go to church? What does it mean that you worship God? What does that mean? And I'll say this. You know, it's uncomfortable uh, maybe you get backlash. Like, peer, like if you said, I don't know. If you said, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't want to cuss. I don't know. If you said, I don't want to cuss because it doesn't honor God when I do that. What would your friends say? They'd probably say something like, bro. What would they say? I mean, literally, I don't even know what language they would use. What would they say? they laugh. You would be viewed as what if you decided and you even told them I'm not going to cuss? What would how would they view you? Does anybody know? I I really don't know. I'm I'm asking you. How would they view you? A weird? What did you say? Outcast? Uh-huh. What else? A Samsung? Whip? Oh, they'd whip you? They would what? Us as a wimp. Oh, a wimp. That's better than whipping you. <laughs> Are you homeschooled? No, you go to Ray South. Ray <laughs> South. So, you might be kind of weird if you decided to live a holy, God-honoring life. Is it worth it? Can I, just, can I just say this? Here's an illustration to consider. Some of the best places, pull up this next slide here. This is a mountaintop. I don't know if you've ever gone hiking. If you've ever gone hiking, it's really, uh, if you get to the top of a mountain, it's really rewarding and satisfying. So when I was 15, I was in Boy Scouts, and we were like, the, we were like real Boy Scouts. Like, I don't mean that. We were like, let's go camping and do fun outdoor stuff. And so we would go on big, high adventures is what they were called. So I went to New Mexico when I was 15, and we hiked 66 miles in New Mexico mountains. And we just had our backpacks that were like 25 to 35 pounds each, and we carried our food and our water, and there were different stations, aid stations and stuff that we would stop at every couple days, and it was a blast, man. We had to get like special boots and special backpacks, and it was a group of probably 10 of us. And we just hiked through the mountains for two weeks. took us like two weeks. I was so hungry by the end of it. It was incredible. I remember the meal I ate right afterwards. That was like a long time ago. I remember it because I was so hungry. It was a bison burger. It was fire, dude. I mean, it was just a regular bison burger. But I tell you what, the views I got to see... The experience I got to have with those guys hiking through these trails, I'd do it again next week if I was, like, ready. But you got to get ready. We literally trained for it. Hiking in our boots because what would happen to our feet? Tons of blisters. I mean, dude, your feet get mangled. Mangled. But I'll say this. Some of the best... Places walked. Some of the best places, some of the best views, some of the best experiences from walking and hiking will require blisters and calluses. If you want to count for Christ, if you want to be fruitful in your school, it's going to require some uncomfortable interactions and for you to grow some tough skin So that when they make fun of you, that doesn't matter. That's just what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to get to the point where it doesn't matter what people say or think about you. And that's hard. I know it is. It's hard. We're all wired to care. How do you walk before God? Okay, let's look at the next phrase here. Servants of Jesus Christ. Okay, so servant, this word here in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 means someone bound to another person. Bound to another person. Bound to another person's directives and instructions and well-beings even. So Paul and Timothy made up their heart and they made up their mind that they were going to live out whatever orders and needs and desires that they received from Jesus. They suffered imprisonment at Philippi like I mentioned before. They were literally just doing the work of the Lord. And they got, they not only got imprisoned from it, they were beaten before they got put in prison. They were beaten. Their flesh was ripped open. They were beaten for going to preach the gospel to this city. They were falsely accused. They were put in prison, falsely accused. And then when they got out, they're like, they realized that Paul and and these guys that they're, Roman citizens and they're like alright we got to get them out of prison and then Paul's like whoa 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 hold on you're quick to put us in prison not knowing we were Roman citizens which would give them uh, a standing in that governmental system that would say you can't just throw them into prison so he's like hold on wait just a second you're not going to toss me out after you falsely accuse me and they're like where's I? please where's Ari so Paul goes and he encourages the church before they leave Philippi right he went through the ringer To plant this church. And he did so because he he understood that who he was. Was a servant of Jesus Christ. And I think that means more than. I want to highlight Layla real quick. So Layla walked in this morning. And I don't even know if I said hi. I think I said hi to you first. But pretty quickly thereafter I was like. Hey Layla can you take the trash out? I mean it was like pretty quick. Like I was asking her to. To serve, which praise the Lord, she did it. She was like, "Yep," she got right to. She went and got the coffee with Jocelyn and the water, and like they just got right to work. They are servants to this class. But I would, I would propose that being a servant of Jesus Christ is, is even different and more distinct than that. Okay, it's even more di- different. It's more, it's more, and it's different. Being a servant of Jesus Christ is to say that whatever He wants and whatever He says. I will provide and I will do, I will obey. And that's unique because you can suffer imprisonment and beatings and you can do so, this is a little bit different, you can do so with joy and rejoicing. Not running and trying to escape. Letting it happen. Why? Why? Why could they do that? Because Jesus Christ was their Lord and their Master, and as the servant of Jesus, whatever He says, as long as I'm doing that, as long as I'm, here's the word, as long as I'm obedient, then I have joy. As long as I'm obedient, I'm good. Like the inside, the soul, is at peace. When the outside is not at peace. But it's because I know and confident and am confident that I'm obedient to whatever Jesus is telling me to do. So here's a question of purpose. What is your purpose before God? As you see yourself standing before God, sitting there, taking notes before God, what is your purpose? Like what is your name? What is your title? What is your description? I'm challenged by that title, Servant of Jesus Christ. I think I could confidently say I'm a servant of this class. I love serving in youth ministry. I could say, like, pretty confidently that I'm, this is going to sound weird, but just bear with me, okay. I'm a servant of Sam, Miles. Whatever Sam tells me to do, but you better believe it. I'm doing it. And I find a lot of joy and satisfaction from just obeying him. My servant of Jesus Christ. The reason that's harder is because Jesus requires more than anyone else in my life. You understand? Jesus requires much more. Jesus requires that we go into our schools and we preach the gospel and we take some shame for it. And that's hard. But I think what we can see here is that you can have joy and peace knowing that you're obedient. I think as long as you understand you're a servant of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Servants can find joy in the midst of intense pain if they know they are obedient, but entitled people, here's the opposite, entitled people struggle to find joy in and doing anything. Entitled people are never happy. You know why? Because they never get their rights and their desires met. And once they get them, those, those things are fleeting. Oh, I got the newest whatever it is. And you are happy when you get that new phone or that new gadget or that new toy or that new game or whatever. And it is cool. It's exciting. But then what happens? The next day, it's kind of old. And you want the next thing. And you deserve the next thing. And you should get the next thing. And then you're not happy anymore. Discontent. Right? Or I think I should be treated this way by the people in my school and in my classes. And when they don't treat you that way because, newsflash, they never will... They're never going to treat you right. They're, even in the church, bro. Hey, welcome to uh, Midtown Baptist Temple student ministry high school class where we will do our best to make you feel loved and treat you right. But I promise will disappoint you, will hurt your feelings, and won't meet your needs. And I'm going to try my best. And if you tell me what your needs are, I'm going to do my best to meet them. But the reality is, we're all just a bunch of people you know and if you come in with an entitled mindset you're going to perpetually be disappointed if you come in with a servant of Jesus Christ mindset you'll only be satisfied because guess what you'll have opportunity to do the whole time you're here serve Jesus Christ does that make sense that's kind of nice okay let's look at this last group saints bishops and deacons the word saints means holy The word bishop means overseer. The word deacon means minister. A saint is a born-again believer who has been made holy, set apart from the world for a purpose. Okay, you're all, if you're born again, you're all, the Bible says, saints. And that word means holy. You are set apart. God made you different. You're a new creature. Praise the Lord. You've got eternal life. You've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. You have the solution and answer to the the world's greatest problem. It's not cancer. It's not racism. It's not the governmental political divide in our country. The greatest problem in all of mankind is sin. Because our sin, our shortcoming of God's glory will send billions of people to hell To an everlasting, eternal lake of fire, bro. That's the biggest problem in in mankind. And you have the solution to it. You're different. You could say you're built different. Right? As a saint, you're set apart. And you're set apart for that work. Okay, but a bishop is an overseer. A bishop, an overseer, is someone who looks out for the flock of God, protecting, guiding, leading... Uh, and, then, then, and then there's a minister. A minister is a person who serves and edifies the body, this deacon. Uh, they deek. That's a word that just means serve. They serve people. So the question is, in terms of your position, in terms of your role here in this church, is what is your position before God? What's your position? What role do you have in the body of Christ? How have you been fitly joined? What part does God want you to have in being the church? And if I could... Let's highlight Layla again. Perfect example. She rolls in and she's, she's participated in different ministry roles. She's been on Praise Man. She's been in Kid Town. She is... Dialing in on being hospitable, on serving. She has a role. I don't know how well you know it. I'm not going to put you on blast. But you're filling that role really well. Like we got a trash bag that's relatively empty. And there's coffee and water in here. And I bet you if I asked you to do something else, what do you think she would say? She'd probably be like, yeah, okay. Okay, what role do you have? What part do you play? What bucket of water do you pick up and haul back to wherever they haul water? What is your part in being the church and being fitly joined? And if you don't know, I'll say this. Like wholesome homes, okay? A wholesome home. Each person plays a role. I'll talk about not my home. I could talk about my home. I want to talk about my Parents' home, the home I grew up in, because there's some dysfunction. There was some dysfunction as I grew up, and my parents would admit it. There was alcoholism. Dad being sent to the hospital when I was in fifth grade because he drank himself uh, into a really, really bad place. He was an alcoholic, and he was a bad one. Mom uh, has been clean from gambling for. It was like thirty years or something crazy, like a really freaking long time, and she was just gambling money away, lying about it, sewing deception into my family with her mom for years. Like some, and there's and there's more turbulent stuff that I might tell you in private if if I needed to. But my family had some some dysfunction. So some of you who are going through some dysfunction in your families, I'm with you. I understand. You say, well, you, did they do what my parents have done? Well, yeah, actually they did. <laughs> yeah. All that. And, and the people in this room, the adults, Mitch Ronda, Brock Lauren, Kylie and I, like we get it. We kind of understand. We've seen it. We've been in it. And yet, that home that I grew up in, imagine this, there were still roles. Okay, so this home... church, this class, going to be dysfunctional. Hopefully not the things that happen in, in other homes. But there's going to be shortcomings and dysfunction, and we're not going to be super organized. I'm kind of a terrible organizer and administrator and communicator, I'm realizing. So, you know, it might be hard to find what your role is. I'm going to do my absolute best to help you find that role, because my dad, what he would do is he would go to work. He'd go to work, and he would pay the bill. And my mom, when we were really little, she stayed home with us for a while. But then when, when my brother and I got into school, she had to go back to work so that we could pay for everything. So then both my parents are working while we're at school, and then we come home. And then my parents did the bulk of the chores in my home. So the way that I'm wired, I'm going to be real honest with you, is I, like I'm probably going to take over when I shouldn't take over. I'm probably just going to... Run this house and clean this house and make sure things are set and, and done as they should be done. That's just what I saw. My brother and I only had like pretty few chores because we were wild and we were hard to, to hold accountable. So we would do the yard work outside. That was my job. I knew that I was supposed to do the yard work. And I did that fairly faithfully. But having a role helped the thing move forward. You need to fill a role in this class, to move this thing forward. And if you don't know what your role is, please talk to us. Let us help you find that place so that you know what your purpose is, what your role is in this class. Does that make sense? Let's look at verse 2. This would be quick and then we're done. Verse 2, it says, Grace be unto you, he says, and peace. Grace, peace, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is favor. It's also translated favor. I think that's really cool. Grace is having favor. It's receiving favor. Grace, Receiving grace is knowing the fact, it's believing the fact that God still favors you and still loves you no matter what other people say or do, no matter what, other, what else is happening in your life. Receiving grace is just acknowledging God favors me. God's for me. God loves me. Grace is the thing that God says is sufficient for suffering. It's the thing that will that will uh, lift your heart. It will hold your heart up. It will strengthen your hands when you're enduring awful pain and heartbreak from family strains and evil confusion from the devil. Grace is what is sufficient for us. It's when the power of Christ, get this, rests on your soul, allowing you to be safe and secure no matter what life throws at you. It's allowing you this grace, this power of Christ that allows you to be fruitful and successful despite your weakness and frailty. Your grace is, you know, that we have access to is described here in 2 Corinthians 12.9 when Paul says, and he, he said unto me, God said to Paul, God says, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can I just propose to you that if things suck right now like they did for Paul, Paul... I should have mentioned, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi from a jail cell. He was in prison. It's one of his prison epistles. Not only is he writing to this church at Philippi from prison in Rome... But he also experienced imprisonment in Philippi. He is familiar with hardship, y'all. And yet he knew that God said to him, "My grace is sufficient." So if I can say to you, if you will just consider your situation in light of that. If you'll say, "You know what? If God's grace is sufficient, then I can I can what's it say? I can glory in my infirmities. I can find thankfulness in this Awful situation I'm in. I can glory in it because I know that God will be strong on my behalf. Does that make sense? I know you're falling asleep because we're going along and it's kind of hot in here. Hang with me here, okay? This last conclusion here is important, and somebody probably needs to get saved. so check this out. He says, "Grace be unto you and peace. Peace, peace is also rest. Or quietness is how it's also used. rest or quietness. receiving peace from God is resting in His grace. It is to to rest, stop running from God. It's to set down at his feet and surrender to him. It is to stop distracting yourself with the noise of entertainment and drama. Right, what do we do, man? When things get stressful, we go and we go to the snack bin and then we go to the TV or we go to the phone. That's what we do. It's what we've been programmed to do by the world. you understand? But to have peace is to say, you know what? Things suck. But I'm going to separate from that in my room here, in the basement, wherever, whatever. Wherever you can get some privacy. And it's to just close your eyes and say, God, here I am. And I just want to rest in Your grace. Maybe get a Bible open to the Psalms. It's good medicine for your soul in the Psalms. And just say, God, I need You. And then just be quiet. Don't don't bring your phone with you. It's to disconnect from all that. And it's not to... I mean, you're not waiting for like some angel to show up in your room if that happens. Run, okay? It's just to be quiet and rest. That's what we need. Peace. Last passage, Mark chapter 4, verse 37 to 41. This is how Jesus gives peace to His disciples. It's a pretty cool story. Hope we can see what we need to see from it. It says, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. During a storm. There's water getting in the boat. And he, Jesus, he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep, on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Okay, so their initial thought about who Jesus is was a careless master. They said, master, but they said, don't you care we're dying? One who was in charge of all things, but for some reason didn't care that they were in a scary and dangerous situation. Hey, don't be like that. But maybe that's how you are. Maybe you're going through a a, a tough situation and you know that God's in charge, but you're like, don't you care that this junk is happening? Where are you, God? Where are you? Here's what Jesus does. And He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no... How is it that you have no... How is it that you have no no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, now they have the fear of God. They're looking at Jesus and here's what they say. They say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Okay. It changes from, He's a master, but He doesn't really care, does He? To This dude's the real deal. He's in charge of some stuff. He's got some authority over life that I don't have and that the people around me don't have. He is the one and the only. God shows His power over all things and the conclusion about their Master was that He was uniquely authoritative. Even having the rule over the storm in their life. Jesus has the authority over the storm in your life. And you've got to see that. And this is the answer and the key to enjoying the peace of God. In faith, setting your mind and your heart on the one who has the authority over all things, trusting Him to get you through the storm, even if your boat takes on water and you experience some trauma and discomfort. Notice, they were in a storm and the boat was, the boat was, about, the boat was about to sink. It was actually a really hard situation and they suffered from it. So you might have to suffer a little bit. But Jesus can get you through that storm. You understand? And you've got to trust Him for that. You have to have faith that He's going to do that. Look to the Savior today, this morning. Receiving grace and peace is receiving by faith the person of Jesus Christ and His sacrificed life for your sin. We're going to be done in less than a minute. Maybe you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know Him. You know He saved you from your sin. Praise God. This morning, maybe you need to turn to Him. You need to face Him. You need to bow yourself before Him. And just beg Him for grace and peace. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been coming here for a long time. And you don't know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Today you need to look to Him. You need to cry out. You need to say, Jesus, will you save me from my sin? And will you be my Lord and my Master? Make me your servant. Give me your grace and your peace. I need it. I need you to save me today. Maybe that needs to be your prayer. We're going to sing a song. Lydia, if you can come up here and get set up. We're going to sing one song together. If you need to pray with a friend and pray with a friend. If you need to pray by yourself, sit there and pray. And, uh, and then if you need counsel from Brock or Lydia, Lauren, Kylie or I, let's do that. Okay, let's do that. I'm going to pray and then we'll stand and we'll sing, okay? Alright, pray with me. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, thank You for Your grace and Your peace. Thank You for saying who we can be and what we can do. You lay out for us uh, what our options are. And I believe that if we just go through life on our own and in our own strength and in our own power and in our own wisdom, I'm convinced that we will end up miserable. And we will end up miserable like other people we see in our lives, being miserable. But if we'll trust You, I believe that we can have joy even if things are hard. God, help us to see that. God, we love You. You're awesome. We need You to be strong on our behalf. Even, even now this morning, I ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen.